You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. the Fulhamish podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC, and ladies and gents, it does not get much better than this. Alexander Mitrovic with a last minute header to snatch a 3-2 victory over our little brother Brentford to send Craven Cottage into rapture. In the moments leading up to the equaliser, we'd feared we'd squandered a 2-0 lead. But after missing a series of chances in the build-up to the final crescendo, never doubt the big man. Chance of your going down with United echoing around the ground. Fulham undefeated, five points after three games. An unbelievably solid start. And like that's something, this is the first Premier League meeting between Fulham and Brentford and an iconic moment within the Premier League from a Fulham point of view. I mean, just the importance of getting that victory at a good start. I, I've just been buzzing from the moment that we got that victory. We've got a hell of a pod coming up for you today. I'm joined by Dan Cook. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, Coops. How are you? I am ecstatic. I'm joined by Isabel Barker. Are you doing well? I'm good. How are you? I'm fantastic. And Dom Betts. You alright? Oh, what a weekend. What a weekend. <laughs> when Fulham win and Chelsea lose, you got me singing the blues. Oh, too right, too right. Right, we've got a hell of a show coming up for you, but we'll kick things off with some three-word reviews. Dan, would you like to do the honours, please, sir? Absolutely. I, I was saying, we did the I did the three-word reviews for the Liverpool game, and I thought we had big numbers for that. At time of recording, 256 three-word reviews. <laughs> what a day. Uh, that was a fun, fun scrolling. Start us off, we had uh, John Brooker with Stansfield of Dreams, which I liked. BT Tweets was not messing about with his review. He just went with Fulham beat Brentford, which, you know, bosh, bosh, bosh. <laughs> That's what it says on the tin. Fulham South Africa with Raya still flying after noticing a familiar looking helpless dive from David Raya as the ball sails past him. We had Con Bugler with Champions League bound as uh, at least briefly we sat fourth on the table <laughs> and Fulham in the South gave us bees were palinated. I think trying to do a little bit of a wordplay between annihilated and Polina, but it's a little bit too far for my liking. And finally, Jakob Krupa with last minute beheading. Very good. Very good. Dom, you mentioned, uh, you know, Chelsea losing. Uh, I'll, I'll come at you with this question straight off the bat. Do you think the likes of Chelsea, Liverpool, Manchester United have what it takes to catch up with Fulham and compete with us for the Champions League places this year? Well, Chelsea don't because they don't have a striker. They don't have anyone. Can, they don't have anyone who can put the ball in the back of a net. Um, <laughs> but no, I, 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 it's just, it's just. Even when we like were like a team who would finish in like sort of mid-table, top ten in the Premier League, we didn't start the season as well. So it's so. I don't know if it's refreshing or weird <laughs> to be starting a Premier League, Premier League season well because this isn't even what we did. Even when we finished, you know, Mark Hughes when he got us into the top ten. We start the season terribly. People calling for his head around Boxing Day when we lost to West Ham. So it's just so great to get off the mark so well. It's so great. There's so many people at work saying, oh, Mitrich can't do it. Marcus Silva, he failed at Everton. I was like, oh, is that why he finished 
higher than Ancelotti did in both the seasons. Yeah, yeah, shut up. Um, but like, honestly, it's just it's just so refreshing. I think it's what only our second win over Brentford at the Cottage in twenty games or something crazy like that. I mean, I was looking, I was looking back at it. Obviously, by the playoff final, I think the only time we beat him in the league was that one where we made it two 0 in the last minute uh, when Kearney scored. So it's just refreshing. It's refreshing to see us because often, you know, when we can see that goal just for half time, I was like. Oh God! This is they're going to get back into the game and it'll maybe finish a draw and maybe they get a winner. But it was so so nice to see us sort of. Yes, we got they got back into the game. You know, Brentford had very very lot of chances in that sort of beginning of the second half. It was so good to see us get that last minute winner and for the confidence that'll do to the squad after sort of conceding that set piece goal just for the half time whistle. I think we can uh, and especially with the run of games we've got going up. You know, going to Arsenal, going going to Spurs. Obviously, we got to deal with Chelsea. But obviously, if they play like they did today, then it'll be quite an easy game. Um, but yeah, no, it's just like, it's just like great to see us just showing the Premier League that we're not just we're not a Norwich, we're not a West Brom, we're here to stay. And Mitrovic is definitely Premier League quality. That you're not you're not Serbia's top goal scorer for nothing. Absolutely, Isabel, it took Fulham all of fifty seconds to make their mark on the game. What can you what can be said about the intensity that we came out of the block? So obviously we saw against Liverpool, right? And we're thinking, is this the way that we're going to start every game? But we saw exactly the same thing. And like, what what can you say about the way that Fulham came out in that sort of opening spell that obviously led to the goal? Were you, were you impressed? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, obviously we, I think we really took advantage of the fact that Brentford had that, um, you know, epic 4-0 pacing of Man United. I think they were actually really, um, they really underestimated us, how, how we would burst out the traps and they were a bit asleep, really. I think, I kind of said in my report that they just didn't look very kind of um, cohesive and united together. And I think we took advantage of that. And yeah, we just made them look like a shadow of the team that, that, that have been playing the season under Thomas Frank. And um, yeah, it was, a, it was an electric start. And it, it really kind of, um, I don't know, I just didn't really, I, I obviously didn't expect it, but 50 seconds in and it's just, just a, a dream start for us, for sure. I feel I feel like Thomas Franken, I think it was da- Damsgaard, he said it in the interviews with Brentford's official channel. It was sort of like there were seconds at every second ball and that was totally correct in that first sort of 20 to 30 minutes. I mean, although that goal exactly from Bobby Roode was exactly the cleanest, you take it. And But he was right. I mean, Jay Stansfield... Bobby Reed, Mitrovic, Pereira, they were even, you know, the likes of Harrison Ring, they were all the first ones on those second balls. And I think like some previous times in the Premier League when we have sort of sat back and we haven't sort of played more direct football, I guess you can say, which sort of Danny Murphy pointed to last night, we haven't, we haven't, we haven't even tried for those second balls. And I think that's what, what we really did really well in the first 20, 30 minutes of yesterday's game. And I think that's something that Marcus Silva's clearly told his players going into this season and it was great to see because let's face it, in previous Premier League campaigns, that's probably been our biggest issue is we're not first, second balls. We start the games really poorly. You know, the, that game at the cottage in lockdown against Aston Villa sort of really sticks out to me. I think it was that third, that, that was third game of the season as well as far, as far as I remember. So it's just great to see us going from the off trying to attack them. And yes, they came back into the game, but that 2-0 lead is something we haven't really seen Fulham attack from the off. You know, it's probably the first time we've been in, after a few games, probably been in the top half of the season in probably over a decade. So it's just it's just great to see us getting off to a good start because when, when you're a team who just come up, that is so important to getting off to that good start in the Premier League. Yeah, I think it, the getting the 50-second goal, 45 seconds, whatever it was, was really important because the fact that, I think me and Dan were saying that Obviously, the atmosphere was was really good. It was this first Premier League derby between Brentford and Fulham. But they had that... We didn't know that they had that, you know, 
Freed from Desire. They do it for Ivan Tony as well. So they were obviously really riled up before kickoff. They were singing that when it was supposed to kind of be our song about Mitro. But that that early goal just really shut the fans up. And I think that was really important for like the West London derby feel and the kind of giving us the extra confidence. And um, it just really stunned them because actually Brentford haven't lost a prem- like many Premier League games, I think, since about February um, this year, you know, from the last season as well. So it was just a real shock to their system. So that was really important as well, getting that early goal. You say that Brentford sing free from desire for Ivan Tony. There's another element of copycat nature that I, I noticed yesterday. When Ivan Tony seemed to, uh, I say, somewhat mock uh, our talisman Alexander Mitrovic's celebration for not only his disallowed goals, but also the one that did eventually stand. And I don't know about you guys, but I had a big old smile on my face to see Mitro get the winner after that show of shit Azari. But yeah, I don't know what it, I think. I think, you know, Mitro must be living in his head a little bit after he uh, had that. Well, I think he's just waiting to write that article. I think she had the headline, Phony Tony's ready, ready to go, wasn't it? Ivan Tony just opens himself up for it. Like he only has himself to blame. Like how many times has he done stuff like this? Like Mitro obviously lives in his head rent free. Like Mitro has never cared about Ivan Tony, I don't think. I think Ivan I think um my colleague did a sort of interview with Mitro after and he was saying that Mitro said that um Ivan Tony uh he feels that Ivan Tony idolizes him. I think that's very true from that game. It was just really embarrassing, really. And like Ivan Tony just hasn't covered himself in, in glory this year, you know, saying fuck Brentford in that video and then that crypto TikTok where he goes, Oh, I'm not at any special club or whatever. Um, so, yeah, and then doing that and then being made to look like a mug by Mitrovic's late winner was just the cherry on the cake, to be honest. Absolutely, absolutely. And Dom, you mentioned Danny Murphy's comments on Match of the Day last night. I mean, what a beautiful thing. Of the three Match of the Days that have been this season, Fulham have been first for two of them. Let's just, like, enjoy that moment. But I thought it was, as you said, really interesting how Fulham are fighting for that second ball. And there's been a shift in the way that we played. So last year, obviously, we enjoy the lion's share of possession. We can just dominate teams and so on. You'd see us, you know, getting 75% possession in some matches. But I did a little digging after I heard Addy, um, Danny Murphy say those comments. And on the Premier League website, you can have stats for like, you know, the amount of times teams have hit the woodwork, goal scored, whatever. So I saw that of the big missed chances, Fulham are currently third out of 20. But hit the woodwork, Fulham are also third behind only Liverpool and Arsenal. We're fifth for goal scored, sixth for shots. But conversely, the flip side of that, we're 16th for passes and 15th for touches, which would suggest a shift in our game plan in terms of we're not looking at that possession football because we know we're not going to be able to compete with the big boys. But there's been a real emphasis on trying to get, you know, flood the box, get men forward, take the chances when you can. Dan, have you noticed the shift of the way, especially compared to how we played in the Premier League last time with Scott Parker, the dynamic shift between how we did then and then and how it's starting to pay dividends? Yeah, definitely. I, th- I think one thing that Marco Silva was spot on with as well is that whilst it is sort of a change in method, the values are still the same. So we're, we're doing all the same sort of similar patterns of play and we're keeping true to our shit of getting the ball out wide, using Mitrovic as that sort of pivot, that lever in attack to bring other players in. We're just doing it sort of at a quicker pace and... We know, we know that in order to break down Premier League teams, in general, you've got to do that in transition because the second you let a Premier League team, good ones, good defensive sides, get set, if you're, you're having 65% possession and a Premier League team sits in, you're going to find it really hard to break them down. And I think that's where we've done it really well so far this season is that we've acknowledged that and we've 
played a lot more in, in those sort of transitions on the counter. I think we've seen us going long from the keeper a lot more often as well, which I think has been interesting, using Mitrovic again more in that sort of capacity. And I think it's been brilliant because you do have to adapt. And it's it's something that gets brought up a lot when you look through the previous seasons with us and also Norwich is, is always the standard one. Teams that go out and really do dominate the championship in terms of possession tend to struggle in the Premier League because it's such a, a big change. And if you want to keep those values and those methods, it's really difficult because you're doing it against teams who are trying to do the same thing, but with better players. So if you're going head to head in those situations, you're going to struggle. And so I think Marco's done brilliantly. I think it's such a testament to what a good manager he is. Absolutely. And I think one of the key components to our game is our now strength from set pieces. I mean, look at the Juan Paulini goal, right? The threat that Fulham have this year from, we'll talk about Juan Paulini and his impact a, a bit more, you know, going forward, because I think no one can deny he's been absolutely incredible for us. But Dom, how, you know, we've got that header, obviously, and you look at the, the stature that we've got within the side, the likes of Mitro, you know, you've got Shane Duffy, Juan Paulini, um, Tosin. Like, how important do you think that aerial threat and this kind of shift between possession-based football and maybe trying to get goals, you know, from the set pieces and from those more kind of like hit and hope areas? How important do you think that's going to be for Fulham moving forward? I think I think it is. I think it's going to be very important because I think the way we're playing this season, it's not. Um, I mentioned it earlier. Um, sort of, someone mentioned it to me about obviously uh, Danny Murphy's punctuary match today. But I also mentioned that this season we're looking at getting crosses in early. We're not looking at getting Wilson and Cabana, who are both playing inside forward roles last season, getting the ball sort of cut back, and then Mitrovic has got something to tap into the net. We're getting balls. I mean, the third goal yesterday is a prime example of this. Getting the ball early in the box, Mitrovic is on Mbemo at the time. He's not on a centre half like Ben Mee. Or, or or anything at that point in time, and it it's it, it just I think it makes we're going to get set pieces, we're going to get deflections off players, and we're going to get corners. And then when you look at the hype we've got in the team, which I don't think we've had for a fairly long time, it, when you've got midfielders and attackers alongside your centre half, so we're going to have that height at the back and set pieces. We are we are going to be a threat. Obviously, we did concede one yesterday, which I think was a very well worked set piece personally, just from Brentford, and that's that's why they scored. But I said I think we need to be looking at set pieces this season as a reason we can attack teams, not just we need to be able to defend set pieces. Well, I think we need to look at it as this is one of our advantages because, as I said, as you said, we'll get on to Jalpolina later, but I thought, you know, from from any corner, we look like we're bigger than Brentford. We're going we're gonna to win those balls and we're going to head them in the back of the net. And I said, I, you know, I said, as, as we mentioned, we're going to get in Jalpolina, but I, said, I just think from any cross, not for just from a set piece, from a corner, from a free kick, whether it's in swinging or out swinging, you know, just just getting those balls into the box early is going to cause defenders trouble, or, or whoever's marking Mitrovic because Mitrovic at a back post is going to win those headers. You know, if he's look at against Liverpool, he's going to beat Trent in the air. Look at Brentford, he's going to beat Mbemo in the air. So getting those balls in early doesn't allow these teams to sort of get set, allow put let's say I don't know Ben Mee or Mitrovic or something, or put Virgil Van Dijk on Mitrovic. Let's say he, it allows us to get the balls into the box and allow us to use our height to our advantage because I don't think. Even on if for years, it's not something really used for our advantage. Mm. No. What I found funny, Coops, and it was interesting. So we've got a really good repertoire of set pieces. Like we really do train them, and they've spoken about it. And the players hate it because it is really boring. But they spend a lot of times on the training ground, sort of walking through these set pieces. And we wheeled them out, and you know we had that Mitrovic chance when David Ray made a good save, and then he turned it in, and he was offside. That was a really well-worked set piece. Similarly, the one which was blocked by Rico Henry. But actually, the goal came from 
nothing clever, nothing funny. It was just a good ball into the box and Jarpolini just attacked it and was bigger than everyone else. And I found that interesting that we had all of these, it's, it's a good sign that we have all of these clever systems, but also we are big enough and we have the aerial advantage in a lot of games now where we can just rely on a good ball into the box. Yeah, too right. I mean, is I want to talk more about Wapalina. Like uh, Sammy said on previous pods, like, I think he's got lost on his way to Manchester City. And if we do have him this time next year, then, you know, we're doing very well. But talk to me how you felt about the celebration after the winner. You know, th- this is the sign of a player who is fully bought into the cause, knows exactly what his job is. And yeah, I feel like one hell of a player for us in the future. Yeah, 100%. Like, I feel like um, when we were last in the Prem, we fell in love with Anderson and kind of how vocal he was and how outspoken he was. Because at Fulham, often we're not used to players being really, you know, wearing their hearts on their sleeves and and celebrating like that and being really vocal um, when they first come in as well in, into a team. And we had that with Anderson, I thought. And I felt like we're kind of having that again with him and we're falling in love with him really quick. And it's obviously just been a great week month for him he's really confident in his football but off the pitch I think uh Marco was saying in the press conference that obviously he's expecting another another baby as well so he's obviously just loving life in in London he's loving he's loving being in Fulham and I think that uh you can obviously see that in his football and in, in that celebration and um yeah and I think I think there was some talk of oh he needs to be careful you know he's celebrating like that he's obviously a bit of a a hot head and he needs to watch what he's doing. Obviously there was that challenge with, um, was it Ben Mee in, in the air and, and everyone was kind of saying, you know, he's lucky to stay on the pitch, which I think he was, but I don't think there's anything to worry about. I think he is a bit hot headed. He's fiery, but we need a bit of that at Fulham, particularly in this Premier League season. We do need, often we lack leaders at, at Fulham and, and I think he's definitely one of them on the pitch. And he's kind of got a few Mitro traits with, with, the, with those sorts of celebrations, which we love. Uh, we don't get enough of that at the club for sure. So yeah, I was watching that back a lot for sure. That celebration. Yeah, it's, as you said, he he does have that kind of hot streak in him, and it's something that's gonna, you know, potentially accumulate yellow cards. And I mean, like for all the Brentford fans who were saying, you know, he was lucky to stay on the pitch. And let's not forget, like Christian Norgard could have easily got a red for you know, yeah, that, exactly. that incident as well. So I think it was kind of like you know. You know, 50-50, win some, you lose some. I don't think there can be too much kind of controversy around that. But yeah, as you said, he could. he's already on, what, two, three yellow cards? And five, obviously, get a suspension. And at that point, because he's already established himself as such an integral part of the team, Dom, is there a worry that we're going to have to sort of like prepare for the occasion by which he's not available due to suspension or do you think we just sort of like cross that bridge when we come to it? I think it's more of a cross that bridge when you come to it. I mean, I've been speaking to Jar Polino just generally for the last few weeks, ever since I saw his debut against Liverpool. It's just like, why is, why is a top six team not in for him? Like when we, when we first signed him, I think the only other team who interested him was, was Wolves and obviously they got uh, Nunes in instead, also from Sporting Lisbon. But it's like, I don't. I'm not. I'm not trying to put him in a shot window or anything. But he's exactly the type of player that Man United kind of need, and there, there was like no interest there whatsoever. And no, I, I think I think he will get a suspension. I think it's not. It's it, like he's going to get five yellow cards before the, the World Cup. Like let, let I, I can't see him not picking up two yellow cards before then. But I'm I'm happy to see that. I understand obviously the only other sort of number six Holland midfielder we've really got is Nathaniel Chalaba. But I think I think when you've got a player quality of Jao Palina, I think you sort of just take that. You know, you you, yeah. you know what his job is. You know what he's going to do. He allows Harrison Reed to do so much more. I've been speaking to people who 
I've been impressed with Harrison Reed because of the job that Jao Pelini is doing. And I think people have been seeing that. You know, a lot of times we've seen Harrison Reed being the deepest of the midfielders. When you're in the championship and you're dominating position, that's fine. But obviously in the Premier League now, when you have Jao just sitting there and you're, it allows Harrison Reed and Andreas Pereira, because I, I, I'm looking at the sort of Reed um, Pereira sort of pairing and I see it more of two eights as opposed to a, a box-to-box midfielder and an attacking midfielder. And I think it, it, it just allows our pressing game to be so much better. And I think you sort of got to take the rough of the smooth when it comes when it comes to Jao Polini's sort of disciplinary record. Mm. You just mentioned Andres Pereira there. He was voted unanimously across the board from every single Fulham fan outlet, man of the match. Dan, what was it about his performance yesterday that impressed you most? Because he did have an absolute blinder. Yeah, he was brilliant. He combined, I think we saw a dip against Wolves and he went back to, I think, that that promise that he showed in the Liverpool game is firstly his work out of possession. You know, we saw it for the first goal. It was him who won the ball back. He does that across the pitch. I mean, he really does. He chases everything down. And quite often, I think that's that's can be a difficult job with Mitrovic when you think the amount of ground he covers where it actually allows Mitrovic not to have to chase down those loose balls as well. The number of times that Andreas Pereira is chasing down the opposition keeper, that's saving 30, 40 yards out of Mitrovic's legs every time it happens, which is a good thing. But then his on-ball quality was so, so much better against Brentford than it has been in the first two games. I thought his choice of pass was good. He put in a couple of really good balls into the box and I thought he just sort of orchestrated it well. You know, he really was that link between our midfield and our attack and that's exactly what he was there to do. And I think this is what we, we want to see from him going forward. We want these performances and we know now that there's that player in there. I think some people might have been a little bit concerned, but I, I think we can all feel now comfortable that he can be that man who makes that role his own throughout the season. And it's so important because I think that's something we've missed again in, in previous Premier League seasons is that link between defence and attack. You know, so often we've seen our attack get so lost because there's no one bridging that gap. And having that link now to Mitrovic and the two wingers is massively important. It's like, it's worth giving a bit of credit to Marco for like making these players feel loved again or or giving them their time to shine. Because I think like obviously... Like got that assist. I think the last assist was something I read that he got for Man United came like in 2019. Um, so like, is he getting back to his best again? And is that happening at Fulham? And is that happening under Marco? Is he making these players feel confident again? Um, so yeah, I definitely felt like I think Marco needs to be given a bit of credit for for getting making these players shine again because you know he's it, it takes a lot to come from a place like Man United and feel like your career is kind of teetering off the edge and then. To, to make an assist like that and to have such a good game in, in a big West London derby in the Premier League is just a huge achievement. With uh, Andreas Pereira, I said, I've, I've got one United mate who is genuinely his biggest fan in the world and he just doesn't think he's got given the opportunity to do what he can show at Man United. And he's been he's been like, I might actually just start going to Graham Cottage soon just to see what uh, see, see what Andreas can do this in because he's, he's honestly been his biggest fan for like years and I think I think Pereira, that's his biggest problem. Like he's shown it in preseason, scoring sort of forty yarders, one against Brentford. Obviously, I have to mention that. Um, but he's he's been often been called up the preseason Perlo. I think was his nickname at Manchester United because he looked so good in preseason. He'd come in when once sort of regular season sort of start, and he wouldn't show it. But I think this season, and I think a lot of people looked at him coming in. Oh, he's either a, he's a ten, he's an out wide player. But I think he's shown this season his adaptability in Fulham's midfield that he can't. Yes, he can play the ten role, but he can also drop into having us having sort of two number eights with Harrison Reed and and Andreas Pereira. And I think I think he's really feels he's got a point to prove. 
And I think that's that's such that's such an important role for him to have. And I think, yeah, I think Andreas Pereira this season is only going to get better. And I think, I think one thing we actually we haven't probably touched on is actually how Marco Silva got his substitutions yesterday absolutely spot on. With, this, with bringing Kearney on and bringing Mbappé on, and I think that I'm not saying it changed the game. And it's the reason we won, but I think Kearney coming on, obviously Mbappé delivers the assist for Mitrovic. I think, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think he has been given credit for it, but I think the substitutions from Marco yesterday completely is the reason we won the game. Not to want to put you know a dampener on our celebrations or anything, but let's not forget, obviously, with Norgard's goal just on the stroke of half time, and then for. That good half an hour chunk after the second half kicked off, Brentford completely controlled the game. You know, like we were going to two into the final, you know, 15, 20 minutes. So it's like this, this literally could go either way. It's probably going to go Brentford's way. And you mentioned the substitutions there, Dom. And no doubt when TC and Babu came on, it completely changed the game and, you know, brought it in our favour. But I was there thinking that substitution needed to happen a lot sooner i felt like it was left like way too late in and it was way too nervy and you know we saw it like the likes of the the um the brighton game in in 2018 2019 when games like that you know we've gone have gone the opposite way dan if we were going in and it had gone the other way would we be sat here thinking you know those substitutions happened way too late I, th- I think one one criticism that i had last season of marcus silver at times was that we would react to what's going on in the game, but maybe 10 or 15 minutes later than we should have done. And I think that the game changed a lot um, when they made two substitutions, Brentford, and went to a back three, uh, brought on Vitaly Janel and, and Keen Lewis Potter. And they went from that back four to that back three. And I think that made a big difference because they had that extra man out wide at every moment. And that's when they started to flood us. And that's when we started to look really troubled because we had fullbacks having to pick up two men and then suddenly Tosin and Tim Ream were left with an extra forward to deal with as well. And we just didn't react to that. And But then we did. And then the substitutions came and that changed the game. I think it does also help that I think Brentford did back off a little bit. I think there was an element to them when it went to 2-2 that they realised that they probably were getting a point out of a game they could have got none out of. And I think they were also a little bit just, just, just legs had gone because they put everything into it. But I, I understand why he wait waits so long so far this season to make those substitutions because I don't think there are actually obvious options on the bench at the moment, especially going forward. You know, we know our depth going forward is really weak because of the injuries, and I think whilst Kearney probably is a you know pretty safe, you know, you know what you're getting out of TC when you bring him on, and that's fine. But also you've got that question of where where does he slot in? You know, Andres Pereira is having a great game. So then that means you have to move him out of position. I think an interesting point when it comes to Kearney and Mbappé that was made last night by by Murphy was that, so when Mbappé whips that ball into Mitrovic, he has got a very obvious option to 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 side it into sort of Tom Kearney. And I think last season, we probably would have made that pass. But Marcus Silva has clearly told them something that says, get this ball in the box, we've got Mitrovic up front. Because he put he, he made it so... Kenny was like offering to have the ball, but I think, I said, in that time, it's good. We And I think those changes are something we maybe didn't see in our transition from the Championship to the Premier League last time, is that they would just play that obvious ball in that side for the Tom Kenny. Whereas I think, 
yesterday we saw Mbappé like, no, I'm going to whip this ball. I can see Mitrich at the back post. I can see his man is going to be uh, Mbwemo, uh, Brian Mbwemo, and he's, and, he's, and he's going to beat him in the air. And I think those are the small sort of significant margins that we weren't taking advantage, advantage of under Scott Parker, under Ikanovic, under Ranieri. And it's just great to see sort of this. It's, it's, it's tiny, but it's so important. Also, I, I tried to speak about it. Is it our first London derby win in the Premier League since we beat Palace 4-1 at Selhurst? Which was like October, November 2013, which is just genuinely ridiculous. It's like nine years ago. Yeah, we're not generally too blessed in that department, are we? But I mean, you, you think about the, the tough games that we've got coming up and Drew had a really beautiful analogy in the, uh, in the quick take this morning. He said, as sort of Premier League survival sort of dogfighters, you've got to be a squirrel. You've got to collect your nuts for the fallow winter period. And at the moment, Fulham have got five beautiful nuts and the points that we've got, which kind of takes the pressure off going into the difficult games that we've got coming up. I mean, like Izzy, you spoke to Marco before the game. Did you sense any sort of like nerves and like the importance of this game? Like if we had lost the sort of outlook that we'd have compared to the way we won, did he seem fairly relaxed? Did you get any sort of sense of where his head was at and how he was going to approach the game before going in? Um, no, he was obviously very relaxed and he kind of, um, he spoke really well about the game because he wasn't like, oh, it's just another game. He was like, oh, this is a, just for the history of the club, it was really important. For the fans, it was really important, maybe for our faith in him and the board and, and how things are going this season. It was really important to get that win, obviously, against in the first ever Prem meeting between um, us and Brentford. But you notice with Marco, when the going gets tough, that's when he starts to maybe make a few digs about the recruitment or the transfers or, or, you know, how, how stranded he kind of is in, in that department. Cause you know, he was, he was sort of saying, you know, got more injuries, obviously Neeskins was a, was a blow on the day, but he was also talking about how, you know, he just not got the options to call on. So I think he kind of was planting the seed that like, if this went badly, then, you know, the board needs to sharpen up. We need to get some more recruits in because obviously the injury list isn't getting any better. So yeah, I think, you could sense he is definitely getting, he was definitely maybe a little bit worried, but he did speak really well about it. But um, yeah, I think if we, either we could see a bit of friction between him and, we could have seen a bit of friction between him and, and the Khans if today had gone bad, if the game had gone badly. And obviously we saw the owner at the game. I don't know if he's doing a bit of kind of business in London at the minute. I don't know how, when was the last game he came to? Maybe not that long ago, but he was obviously there as well. So obviously meant a lot to the club um, and it was really important for the owners as well. Yeah, I, was, I sit in the party and I follow the cottage. And like, I mean, you know, most of the people sit down there. It's quite, it's, it's not the loudest section of the ground at all, but you get a really good view into the cottage. And I remember looking up and I just saw this, you know, big twirly moustache. I was like, oh, shade calm there. And I go to take a photo of him and I'm zooming in. And obviously I'm the only person like in the stand who's like looking at the cottage. I just see him look directly at me. I was like, oh shit. Like, it was quite, quite intimidating. But I mean, what a great game to, uh, to, to witness as well. Um, apparently Tony was there as well. I, did, I didn't know this, but apparently Tony often watches the game with a coffee cup. That's a thing apparently. I don't know if you guys knew that, but he has like a special coffee cup. And Peter Rutzler, obviously, on the from the pod as well, um, he said that he thought he saw Tony's coffee cup in the corner of the balcony. So maybe he was hiding so he didn't get dogs of abuse. But um, yeah, apparently he was there as well. So yeah, definitely a, a big game for the owners. No, what does the coffee cup say? Is it one of those like... I don't know, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I don't like know. Apparently, <laughs> yeah, apparently he had it at like the last game he was at and Peter, who's usually pretty good at these things, thought he spotted it. Um, but he wasn't sure. He asked me as well. We weren't sure, but maybe he was there as well. 
Who knows? Who knows? Oh, we, we, I could talk about this game for the rest of the evening. We've got plenty more to chat about. We're going to take your questions in section two. We're going to be talking about Jay Stansfield's debut, the debut of uh, Leno as well, our new keeper, and our potential right-back conundrum. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. It's the Fulhamish Podcast. I'm joined by Izzy, Dom and Dan. How are you all doing? You good? Yeah, great weekend, mate. Good stuff. We've got some of your questions now. We've taken these from a mixture of Twitter and our Telegram chat. Uh, Telegram chat, if you're not part of the Fulhamish community, it's a way that you can support Fulhamish. It's great. You know, we've got like, you know, loads of members in there. We do all sorts. It's, um, it's really good fun. So do head your way over there if you fancy it. So Fulham fan page 11. I'm going to chuck this one to you, Dan. Mbabu or Tete? Simple as that. And Mbabu obviously came on in the dying embers of the game, provided that cross, which led to the Mitrovic winner. And there's a lot of discussion here because Tete is obviously, you know, he's, he's done very well. He's got that, um, you know, he's proven that he can perform at the Premier League level. But sometimes his, question, uh, his crossing leaves a lot to be desired. And Mbabu has shown in the performances that he's come on that he's got that within his game. So, Dan, it, like going into these next games, do you start Mbabu or Tete? If you're a straight up question, what do you do? Yeah, I, I think that it's easy for us to get wrapped up in the Mbabu thing because he came on against Brentford and put in two really good balls and one of them led to a last minute winner. And that's easy to get wrapped up in, but you know, there's so much more to being a right back than, than delivering a good ball. And we yet to see what he provides in those situations. Whereas, you know, we know with Kenny Tete that he's a fantastic one-on-one defender, that he's great in the tackle. I've, I've, Kenny Tete has got a really good delivery on him as well. Him, him and Mitrovic, I think have a good, relationship I think they understand each other you know we know that we've we've often spoken about the 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 kung fu Kenny hack it into the box and he sends these high drifting crosses in that seems to be laser guided towards Mitro's head yeah and he's got his own his own way Kenny and I really like him and I think he provides so much to this team I think it can be frustrating and I think sometimes I think his defensive awareness leaves a bit to be desired but you would in general, if you were looking into Kevin and Babu, see the same sort of comments. So I think it's a great to have two options. Again, you know, we've got such a, a great depth there now. You know, it's the same as last season when we had Nico Williams and Kenny Tete that I don't think it necessarily has to be one or the other consistently. You know, we've got great rotational option there and I think they're both going to provide a lot to this team. Yeah, I mean, like ultimately, I guess that the, the real winner is Fulham. You know, we've got two very, very good options here, and we're kind of sport for choice in that area. And it'll be, you know, healthy competition is good no matter what team is. So, yeah, um, we'll see how it pans out, I guess. Is he going to throw this one to you? Because I know you're Fulhamish's number one Mitrovic fan. Um, realistically, this is from Fulham Transfers. Realistically, if he stays fit and we keep going with the intensity we are now, how many goals can Mitrovic get? Um, I, I actually would like just take a little breath and be kind of realistic with this one. Like I don't, I mean, he's clearly listening to us on this podcast right now, but I mean, I don't <laughs> want to put too much, too much like pressure on him. I think if we can get, if he could get the same numbers of sort of just a bit more than Tony did last season, I think that would be really successful for him. Considering all the setbacks Mitro has gone through his Prem campaigns, maybe around... 15, I like 15 goals, I'd say. 16, maybe. But I think Tony, did he get about 12 last season in the Prem? And that was pretty good in terms of like English strikers. I think he was like close to, close-ish to Kane's numbers. But um, yeah, around then would be good. Um, but yeah, like I just, just him scoring in games and enjoying his football was the most important thing. Like I know he missed a few clear-cut chances yesterday. 
um, on on Saturday. But like with his work rate is just like a pitbull terrier. Like in that first goal, like he's just pulling all the strings. Um, so yeah, for him to just be enjoying his football, that'd be amazing. And obviously um, it's worth mentioning that he broke Tom Kearney's windscreen, was it, for his Audi in training, practicing his, his um, I don't know what he's practicing, what, like if he was just practicing, I don't know, shooting a goal, whatever. But I was really glad that it wasn't the bright yellow Lamborghini or Ferrari, the really ugly one that Tom Kenny drives. I thought, oh, what a shame. <laughs> that car's not broken. But yeah, it was just that. But now nah, he's enjoying his football. He's obviously um, yeah, having a really good time. And, and if he can just get, you know, but maybe more than 15, I think that would be good for him. You know, just scoring goals in the Prem, would, I would be pleased for him because he just gets so much... Um, so many critics in the press about how he can't hack it in the Prem. And obviously there were eyebrows already raised after the Wolves game when he missed that penalty. So, um, yeah, I think he just always grits his teeth. And when the going gets tough, Mitro always just comes up trumps, doesn't he? Rises from the ashes and always is just a, such a hero for Fulham. Uh, on what Izzy said, firstly, everyone has to go to Tom Kenny's Twitter just to see the photo Mitrovic took with the broken windscreen. Like, yeah. he genuinely looked happier at that than he did when he scored against Brentford. Like, he, he's so happy. But also, like, on, on the goals he scored, it's one of the things that I've been saying to people, you know, as Fulham fans, we all get it. Is, is, is Mitro going to score goals this season? And my answer is always yes, because this is a team that is now built around him and his abilities. You know, this team is geared towards creating chances for Alexander Mitrovic and his qualities as a striker are that he is very good at putting the ball in the net. So if you have a team that is consistently creating chances for him, he will score them. And so I have no doubts that he's going to get a really good return this season. I think double figures is easily attainable. And I think, yeah, I think, as, as he said, 15 is, is absolutely, I think I should, that should be his, his benchmark for the season. I think that's definitely what he should be aiming for. That winner, I think, was so important for Mitrovic this season, point blank. Like, his, me and Dan were saying, like, his confidence just looked shot. Like, it was him against Tony, and Tony was coming up trumps, had all the cojones in front of goal, and Mitro kept missing those chances. And, and he just, like, he, yeah, his confidence looked shot. So to actually get that winner against Brentford, I think, will make all the difference to this whole season. Uh, I think that was so important for him. And, and like, it's, as me and Dad were saying again when we were having a drink, it's like when Mitch, it's like Mitro's like your child going to school. And like when he's had a bad day and he's upset, like as parents, you feel upset. Like I always want him to just do so well because he's such a hero for Fulham. So to get that winner, I think is just a real great marker for the season that's going to come from Mitrovic. We're going to see the best of him in the Prem this season. He's a new animal. So yeah, and he's actually being played. So I think this is going to be the best Prem season we've seen of Mitro so far. Oh, it's so exciting. It's so exciting. And like Fulham have got a, a real black plethora of attacking talent coming through and like Let's not forget, we've got Harry Wilson injured, Manor Solomon's obviously injured. So when we've got these attacking players come in, we're already scoring goals and looking really exciting with this kind of somewhat stunted lineup. And on that subject, we had obviously Jay Stansfield make his debut. I thought it was fantastic, like the intensity that he came out with. And I mean, yeah, second half, he seemed to flag a bit, but you know, he's a young lad. How old is it? Was he like 19, 20 years old? 19, yeah. It was an incredibly impressive full debut, I thought, for Jay Stansfield. So we got this question on the subject from Reigns. I'm going to throw this one to you, Dan. How impressed were you with Jay's performance? I saw his dad play for Hereford and now watching Jay 
Adam would be so proud. Um, thought he was excellent. Um, Bailey also asked, does Jay keep his place versus Arsenal? And I think that um, somewhat that will be dependent on whether Neeskins is coming back. But do you think he earned enough to, to warrant a starting spot in the, the game against Arsenal, Dan? I think the biggest credit you can give Jay, and that is what I said to, to my dad, I mean, after 25 minutes, was that he does not look out of place at all. You know, a 19-year-old making his, his first start in the Premier League and he looked like he belonged. And that's massive. You know, he's, he, he's, he's bulked up a little bit in the past couple of years. He looks physically ready for this now. I thought his running was great. I thought he... He had enough confidence in himself to try things as well, which I think is, is great to see. That's what you want to see from young players is I think sometimes they, they there's a, a worry that they go into their shell in these sort of big occasions, but he very much stood up to it. He was always going to flag the intensity of senior football just absolutely dwarfs youth football in it. You know, 60, 70 minutes in, that, that feels like 120 minutes at, at that age or, or on debut. But whether he keeps his place, I don't know. I think probably if Niskins is fit, he'll come back in. But... What I think this means is that there's a spot for Jay Stansfield in this team. I think he's proved that, you know, he belongs in the squad and being in and around the first team. And I think that's what everyone wants to see. I think we all love seeing these players coming through. And so if if this means that he's now staying in it as opposed to going out on loan, I think that's a great thing if we can get in that game time because it's such a, a great learning experience for a young player. It's worth noting that we almost lost Jay Sansfield to Crystal Palace. Uh, I think it was what in January, and then we, we tied him down on a new deal. So Marco giving him this trust and playing him, even though he may not be fully ready, you know, he is taking a little bit of a gamble playing Jay Sansfield in the Premier League in these huge this huge West London derby. Um, it's really important for us holding on to these little golden gems of, of talent that we have lost in the past, the likes of Liverpool. So now we're not going to see Jay Stansfield go to Liverpool in six months' time, a year or whatever. You know, we're hopefully we're going to hold on to these players and they're just going to get better and better. And Marco said when he turns up to training every day, he's just so hardworking. He just really wants to do well for Fulham. He loves the club, wants to do really well, wants to play Premier League football. Um, and it was quite emotional, actually. Jay, in his interview after the game, was like, you know, I, I hope my dad's sort of looking down on me and, and he's proud. Um, so, yeah, it's it's just a really emotional story and you just really want him to do well and you want him to do well for his family as well and Marco just says he loves the boys so I think there's a, another really good relationship and that trust in a young player and I think it's really important that we do give Jay Sansford time um he, not the full 90 minutes but you know play him for a half or so and yeah uh, I think he's brilliant yeah too right too right and you know I, I, we need to as you said give these young lads opportunity to come through he's obviously got the talent and he's a real he's a real gem and I hope we see a lot more of him this season. Just on the on the subject of our attacking talent, so this is from Sammy, not um, not the other Sammy. This is Ando Sam FFC. Dom, he says, with Solomon and Wilson injured, our attack is not even close to being full strength. Do you think a top half finish is obtainable when they are back, as well as the signings of William Clivert and Mopai? Uh, I think I think it's interesting to see because obviously <laughs> getting a bit carried away. Top half finish. <laughs> no, I, I, when when it when it comes when it comes to obviously these potential signings, I think it's it depends really when Solomon and Wilson are back because there's some people saying oh, I'll be back you know early November late October. There's some people saying they're going to be back after the World Cup, which is going to be Palace away on Boxing Day. So I think it really depends, and I think with the signing more pie, yes. Marco Silva has previously stated he's not going to sort of veer from his 4-3-3, 4-2-3-1 sort of formation. But 
I think in certain games of 3-5-2, where you have the likes of Tete or Mbappé or Robinson out wide, whipping balls into Morpai Mitrić, who would be the biggest shithouse for a front two I think this league might have ever seen. Like I've been, I've been speaking to I've been speaking to multiple people like who support I've been speaking to like Newcastle fans, Arsenal fans, Spurs fans, Villa fans, whatever. They're like that that would be the biggest shit house for a front two this league has genuinely ever seen. And I think the biggest thing in the more transfer, if you look at the quote tweets from Ornstein's tweet saying we're now the favourites, is like him and Leno. But I mean I think Leno liked to tweet about obviously Morpai and Mitch come uh, Morpai and Leno come together. So he's clearly and I, I spoke to a few ex pros, they're like it's it's it happened like in lockdown over like what two years ago now. So they're over it. Like let let and so but no, I think Cliver, I mean I'm a bit annoyed that people at work didn't ask Patrick last night. Um is uh is Justin any closer to joining? Because he was at the uh, AJ fight last night in Saudi. But no I think I think, you know, these these signings that we're making out wide, the likes of just uh, Justin Cliver and Willian, it was like, oh, what are you signing Willian? Oh, we have no wingers. <laughs> like, Cabano's out injured. Wilson's out injured. Solomon's out injured. We've got Bobby Roode, who wasn't playing for us in the championship. He scored that absolute belt of a winner against Stoke away. But, I mean, apart from that, he didn't, really, he didn't have, like, a run in the team or anything. But, you know, I think, you know, Morpai would be a great signing because with, with, with Rodrigo Moon is going on loan, to Middlesbrough and with Cabano's current injury, we don't really know how how long that's going to last. With Jay Sansel being pushed out wide, we don't have a backup striker. So I'm, I'm if we get let's say Cliver, Willian, and uh, Morpai over, I'm happy with that because Morpai, I think actually in this current system we play, if you get him in behind Mitrich, sort of more of a second striker, it allows us to play sort of a bit of a different system. It's not the same as having just Pereira behind there. And I think, yeah, Morpai, I think, would cause a lot of trouble. I think I'm more worried about him and Mitrich sort of getting into an argument mid-game. <laughs> I know. I know. I was going to say, who do you think would... Who would win in a fight? Oh, oh Mitrich is, Mitch is battering him. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'd like <laughs> Mitrich against anyone. Yeah, I think Mitrich would fight <laughs> Usic next. Like, I fancy him. Well, he, he, he wouldn't take over the ring and start... Uh, spouting a lot of rubbish so I mean it'd probably be probably be better for him. <laughs> well the absolute <laughs> head loss from AJ last night I mean I mean he, he had literally just been punched in the head for you know for I mean I, I, I think the worst thing about it last night was somehow that was a split decision but um, you know anyway moving on we know Izzy you've got a soft spot for AJ so we won't um, we won't slander his name too much and hopefully it'll bounce, hopefully it'll bounce back and uh, be stronger <laughs> than ever um, Izzy I just want to ask you about another debut so obviously we talked about Jay but um, how do you think Leno did uh, Elizabeth Barnard friend of the pod said what do you think of Leno's debut was he better than Rodak for you and now what do we do with Rodak I mean I think it was maybe a little bit harsh and perhaps unnecessary given Rodak had put in some good performances in our opening two games um, but I mean Leno did fine you know what wasn't at fault particularly for even two goals it was a fairly composed display um, but I mean it was quite an interesting move for Marco and one that I hadn't been kind of forced on him by performances or whatnot where do you think we go from now do you think that's Leno, our you know first choice keeper for the duration now. Yeah, I think it was a, it was a really good question from Elizabeth. Um, I think basically, once again, the the vibe I get is that Marco is really trying to keep the harmony in the group. He's trying to keep these players. He wants to keep Rodak as a backup keeper, and Leno coming in was eventually always going to take the top spot. But you know, we have to remember Rodak was nearly out the door recently you know he really wasn't happy some of the interviews he had um in his country with, with press there I think he was really suggesting he was kind of wanted a move if he wasn't going to get played 
So Marco giving him a bit of trust, you know, a bit of game time in the Prem, I think it's to just kind of keep him sweet, keep him on board. And I think it was always natural. Leno was going to come in. I, I think he was very professional about it. He wasn't, you know, throwing his toys out the Prem, pram, but he did expect to, to get that top spot. Obviously it happened. I sort of did, I, I, yeah, he was okay. It wasn't particularly different to Rodak. Obviously what he brings is that experience and, you know, he's quite commanding presence. He looks quite confident, but I did think he just looked a little bit slow for some of the Brentford goals. I think, was it the second one? I don't know the communication between the defenders. I don't know if it's necessarily him to blame, but he's completely at the wrong side of the goal for Tony's, the goal that actually went in for the equaliser. So, yeah, I, I wasn't over the moon by his performance, but maybe that's down to, you know, the whole defence needs to communicate with him better and he needs to kind of gel on the pitch and, and have a few more games. But we'll see, I guess. I wasn't completely taken. I do think it was a bit unfair on Rodak and I hope there is a there is time and, and games for Rodak still this season because if he doesn't get that game time, I definitely think he'll be off. Um, I wouldn't, not necessarily January, but summer, you know, we, we may be seeing the, the back of Rodak and he's such a lovely guy apparently off the pitch. So would really like to keep him out for them. I think the biggest difference you get between Leno and Rodak is is their starting positions and 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 the distance from their goal that they deal with situations. So I think Bert Leno is, is is a lot quicker off his line. If you look at his natural starting position, it's a, it, it's outside of his box. He, he's much more of that sweeper keeper mould. And it's something that Marek has been trying to bring into his game, but it's still not natural to him at the moment. He still looks a bit uncomfortable coming off his line. I think you saw it a couple of times against Wolves. And against a team like Brentford, who were going to try and get in behind us at times, you know, they've got a pacey front three. You saw it, David Ryers, with that distribution. He often likes to go over the top uh, when he's kicking from his hands. Having Leno coming off his line, I think, was really important yesterday. And there was a couple of times when it, it was crucial, the speed and the intent he had when coming out of his goal line. I think the other thing as well was that I saw people talking about questioning Leno's distribution and saying they reckon Rodax was better. And I wondered, I was, I was interested just to see, you know, if that was the case. I think sometimes the eye test can be a bit difficult, especially with keepers. Um, and in that game against Brentford, Leno's pass success was 61%. And so far this season, Rodak's two pass successes have been 38% and 52%. So if, yeah, so it, you know, this is partly down to style of play, right, as well, because, you, you know, we have been going long more frequently. But also it would suggest that for those people who are worried about Leno's distribution I would say that at the moment I wouldn't be worried about that I think he is relatively comfortable with his feet and in general our keepers are going to give the way ball away a little bit more this season because we're going long you know last season Rodak had it fairly easy because often it was just give it to Tosin or Tim Ream and this season it's more aiming for Mitrovic or trying to get in behind I do find it funny how goalkeepers or like players in any position really can gain these reputations for having certain you know, negative traits and whatnot. Because obviously I've heard the one about um, Leno's distribution rattling around. It's one that the journos pick up on and whatnot. And my mate is an Arsenal fan. I've got a few mates who are Arsenal fans, as, as you do when you sort of grow up in London. I said, so like, I've heard Leno's distribution's not great. And they're like, no, that's bullshit. It's fine. Like, it's not, it's not that bad that it's warrants, it's worth the reputation that he's got. And I think, as you said, it's just kind of like down to the style of play that teams are playing. And if you're going to lump long more often than not, it's not going to, you know, so maybe it's not one to uh, to worry too much about. Do you think if the, the Malpay incident hadn't have happened, we would have eventually ended up getting Leno? Do you think maybe it's all actually a little bit of going to come back around and 
maybe we sign Malpay and then they'll be friends together at Fulham. And actually, we wouldn't have signed him if he had a got. I want to see them both lifting the Conference League trophy up next season. <laughs> But like this is it me and Izzy were speaking about this is a genuine like circle of life sort of weird sort of thing going on because if if Mope doesn't injure Bert Leno then Emmy Martinez doesn't come in who then doesn't get sold to Aston Villa so then Arsenal don't sign Ramsdale who then takes over from Leno and then we don't sign Leno. Well, it's fine because Ramsdale's not even in his number two at the moment because Nick Pope's doing an absolute great job. Which I'm yeah, I think maybe Izzy, you can do some investigative journalist journalism on that one and <laughs> uncover some big scoop and some wider conspiracy about the the way that Ramsdale's dealt with in this uh, in this league. I've uh, got a question now from Michael B. We're going to stick on the topic of defence. Reem has gone to another level this season. Dom, I'm chucking this one to you. Tossin has been okay, so is he the one to worry about Diop and Duffy taking his place? I mean, you know. Thinking in the position that we were in the weeks leading up until the season started against Liverpool, like we haven't got any centre backs. Now we seem to have, you know, a plethora of good options. Where where do you think we go from here? Because Reem, I thought he was superb again yesterday. Um, I really did. He's he's really proved a lot of us wrong. Yeah, it's weird. So like, I was speaking to my uh, Fulham colleague at work and uh, like on WhatsApp last night, and we were like, right. What what's what's going on here? <laughs> like, like, why is now Tim Ream the the undroppable centre back, and Tosin Rabio is now the one? Oh, should we drop him? You know, for the uh, for example, for the Tosin offside goal, I was fuming at him because he's calling for the offside, which means he gets spun. I understand it's a great finish from Tosin, but him putting his arm up pushes him out wide, which allows him to get. And it's like, why is Tim Ream now like a world class Premier League centre back? Like, why, 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 like, why, why is he now better than Virgil Van Dijk? Because Virgil Van Dijk. Because Timmy probably doesn't get bullied by Mitrovic in training, so. But no, it's it's mad. Like, it must it has to be down to the management of Marco Silva because, like, Tim Ream, everyone was like, we can't be starting him. We saw how he played against Arsenal away under Scott Parker. We saw how he played. Oh, sorry, Arsenal at home. Sorry, we saw how he got played against Villa at home, and he got he was getting spun. But he's probably been our best defender this season, <laughs> which is absolutely mad and. Dan, I mean, you can take it on from here. It's just, it's crazy the sort of difference we've seen from a competent manager taking over from a, this defence who we thought was, we need to sign three new centre-backs this season. Yeah, Marco deserves a lot of credit, absolutely. But I also think that, it, thinking about it, I think stylistically, they're, they're two different centre-backs, right? And, and one of Tim Ream's best attributes is his reading of the game. I think we, we all know he's, you know he's not the strongest, he's not the tallest, he's, he's not the quickest but he reads a game really well and he has more opportunities to do that and be less engaged in defending when you've got Palinho and Reed sat in front of him because they're screening. It means that Tim Ream can do his job of trying to read the game, understand where the ball's going, what runs are being made. And I think that might be where Tosin's a bit weaker and he's a bit more of an engaged defender who is physically strong, likes a tackle, likes an aerial duel and maybe doesn't read the game as well. And I think that's where it's sort of allowing Tim Ream to flourish and Tosin is still sort of learning how to play in front of, you know, two very good holding midfielders and be a bit less engaged as a centre-back. And I think that's where he might be struggling slightly. Mm. I mean, where do you think Diop and Duffy come into it? Because Duffy, I mean, Duffy came on at the <laughs> He came on and starting him of the game against Brentford. I thought he really did a solid job. Even if that's his, even, yeah, even well. if that's his role for, you know, the duration season to, to come on and be that kind of area. I mean, his... Yeah, in the player profile that Jack Stroudy did on um, Fulhamish when we brought Duffy in, he said that Duffy, you know, wins 
98% of his aerial duels or something crazy. And towards the, you know, the dying embers, as I said, of the Brentford game, he came on and did exactly that. The balls that Brentford were lumping in to try and hit Tony and whatnot, he just mopped up. But if that is his role for the... Yeah, as long as he didn't start. <laughs> I mean, like, uh, when okay. he did the op comes into it then, like, you know, in, within this, in this jigsaw so, puzzle, uh, how does it fall into play? Uh, what what I I actually wasn't I was actually really surprised with Leno starting in against um, Brentford on the weekend because I basically what I thought was going to happen is we play Crawley on Tuesday night he brings in Leno in goal he brings in Diop at the back and then they sort of just then now start the rest of the games so I found it really surprising that he actually did sort of play Leno in this game but yeah Diop so we don't know obviously a lot of West Ham fans seem to be happy but I mean their start season's not been uh, any good. Pretty much. I mean, I think they got booed off against against Brighton in the Sunday Sunday two got kick off. So, but yeah, no, it's it's. I don't with Duffy. I'm 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 happy if he's just doing that job off the bench. He can't be a starting centre back as far as far as I'm concerned because, like, and he he would have to be next tossing and we can't be dropping Reem because Duffy is just head the ball away. But then again, if, if we get if we need to set a piece in the last minute, Duffy's going to be someone who's going to be you're going to want at the back post be. Uh, beating and in the air. so I don't know. I just, I just, I just think Diop basically will probably play against Crawley on Tuesday, and then from there maybe against Arsenal. It's at this rate, it's probably going to be him and Tim Ream because I thought Tossin had a very poor game on the weekend. I think I, uh, you know, especially for the offside goal actually for um for T- Tony, he's said he's got his arm up in the air, which completely swings him across. That allows Tony to open up his body and slam it into the bottom corner, and I think it's it's going to be very interesting to see what Marcus Silva does with our sort of our defensive unit this season because we assume okay it will be Mbappé or Tete, it'll be tossing and 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 then Diop, and then you'll have you know uh, Robinson on the left back area. There's rumours of Joe Bryan leaving, which potentially mean there could be another left back coming into the club. So. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see where Diop sort of fits into this yeah, uh, system. I mean, we'll come on to the quarterly game in, uh, in part three because I think that'll be uh, an opportunity to see a lot of our kind of like new new recruits and whatnot. But yeah, just before I wrap up on, um, on, on you know, Saturday's uh, euphoric victory and let's not forget the first Premier League visit between uh, from Brentford at Fulham and we've, uh, we've come away with that one just as we did in the... Uh, in the playoff final, it seems like all the big, all the big sort of milestone games we seem to uh, seem to do well in, even though they may have had the bragging rights over the last few years. But um, one final question before we move on: this one's from Alex. Is that, has anyone spoken to Billy the Bee? Last time I saw Billy the Bee was in was in Box Park after England uh, the Lionesses won the Euros. And I don't remember our conversation. I just remember seeing Billy the Bee. I think we ended up talking about England away games or like what you're doing for Milan or, or something. But no, no, I've not seen him since uh, stumbling around Box Park looking for it. I think the last time I spoke to Billy the Bee was on the radio, like before the playoff final. And he was like, oh, don't worry. Like Fulham always bottle it or something. So I wish I could see him now. Um, that would be fun to remind nah, me. No, I said, I said, when I said in Box Park, I was just sort of trying to work out where the tall sort free bar was after not doing any... Actually, I did work earlier that day, but, you know, not doing any work on the game itself. Uh, and then, yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I haven't seen him since. I haven't, I haven't pop up since. I'll, I'll have a word with him in Milan. 
Yeah, do do. I say I saw him uh, at River Cafe outside Putney Bridge Station before the game. I just sort of said, "Hello, mate. How are you doing? Good luck for the game." He he looked very relaxed and comfortable to a level where I was just like, "Oh, he's he, he looks a lot more composed for this game than I am." But thankfully, uh, I think you know, shoes on the other foot now. But yeah, best of luck for the rest of the season. <laughs> I'm looking forward to going on talk sport with Natalie Sawyer next time at the weekend. I'll be sure to remind her about this. I'm just going to make sure I'm get you on as soon as possible. That's <laughs> good stuff, good stuff. We'll wrap up from there. So part three, we're going to be talking about a very exciting Carabao Cup draw, a way to Cooley Town and looking ahead to our next few Premier League games. Don't go anywhere. It's the Fulhamish Podcast. I'm Josh Cooper and I'm joined by Don Betts. Dan hello, hello. <laughs> Dan Cook, you're right, mate. Hello, hello. And Isabel Barker, how are you? Hello, hello. I feel like I had to say it because we all said it. <laughs> <laughs> get in there, get everyone on the side. Right. Like, I know we've spoken about this before, but Fulham finally have an interesting cup draw coming up, Crawley Town. I mean, they've not got off to the season as well as they may have hoped. They're currently sitting 23rd in League Two. But I mean, Dom, you're a uh, somewhat of a connoisseur of uh, the football league grounds. Is uh, is Broadfield Stadium? With, is this one to tick off for you, or have you been there before? No, I've been there before. And oh, I'm well, of course, he fucking has. Come on, is it like? But anyway, what's it like? What, what can we expect? Uh, just don't try go near the ground. I'd say stick into Crawley Town Centre and get a taxi. Right. And uh, to be fair, while while the game's going on, I'm just going to be absolutely levered in in the dam. So that's that's, oh, yeah, that's you're not going. No, I uh, Rangers got a uh, PSV away on Wednesday, so I'm going to be absolutely levered in Amsterdam on Tuesday night, and I can't wait. <laughs> Get stuck. Now, Crawley Town is like, it's kind of a weird place. It's not that far from my parents, so I've actually, like, when I was first became a reporter, I got given Crawley Town v Grimsby. And I think Ian Holloway. That generally sounds the worst game I've ever heard. I don't know how the, the game could finish 5 4. <laughs> It was the best thing ever. Crawley ended up winning like 3-2. There's so much shithousery going on. It was like a muddy pitch. Ian Holloway compared himself to Conor McGregor, like his comeback into management, like Conor McGregor stepping into the cage again. It was just wild. And I have good memories of, One, of being... There's probably quite a few Fulham fans who have been there because I think we played them two pre-seasons in a row. Because I, I, I remember this specifically because I think it might have been... It might have been the first season we came down. Like, I remember it was, it was either the first or the second. And I think, like, Costa Staffelidis played, like, the game of his life. I was like, it's going to be world class. He turned out being out of shit. So, but no, I said, uh, yeah, it's, it's a bit decent. I think, what, the allocation was, like, 1,300, wasn't it? So Where do you, where do you have, where do you get pissed in Crawley? Because everyone's so pissed at the station always. Like, yeah, no, so we, we were talking about, because obviously, obviously by the ground there is fuck all. Like, there's absolutely, there's nothing by, there's nothing by the ground, but... Get off a get. Obviously, everyone will be cut piling in from either Victoria or Clapham Junction, and then yeah, straight around Crawley, even get in a taxi. I wouldn't try bother trying to get to the ground and public transport. Just have have, have a few around the Crawley Town Centre. There's there's some all right pubs around. Oh, I say all right. There's, there's there's some pubs around there, and then uh, get. Guess what? I've not been given. I didn't get given Crawley Fulham. I got given. Colchester Brentford, so I get to go to Colchester and watch Brentford play at Colchester. I said that earlier. I, I can get you VIP. Perry Grove said he can sort me out every anytime Colchester plays. Oh, so. um, sweep me off. I know it's like, like flashing the VIP part. There we go. It's all, 
at Colchester, <laughs> yeah. What, what a place! Oh. Oh, good stuff. I'm excited. It should be, um, yeah, it should be entertaining. Dan, do you expect to see, um, you know, some of the youth come through? You know, we've had Harris had a fantastic game against Chelsea for our youth team a couple of days back. Um, you know, do we expect to see Jay start? What, what do you reckon we'll see? Because I mean, let's face it, it's hard. I don't think it's going to be a, a, a the, the strongest eleven that we're going to put out. Yeah, I think we'll see some rotation. It would be lovely to see the young boys coming in. I think that would be great. If I'd be interested to see if Jay Stansfield starts. I don't know what his sort of fitness levels will be like after doing you know seventy minutes in the prem, but maybe he, he should he, he'll start again. Probably will have to based if if Niskins won't be ready. It'd be great to see Luke Harris come in. I think maybe I'd be potentially a little bit surprised if he starts. I think he might come off the bench though. And then, yeah, good chance to see new signings as well. I'm certain this Diop will start. I think Mbabu will start. And it'd be nice just to to see the new boys. And it, it's it's nice to have a fun cup tie, isn't it? Because, you know, we look at, if we'd have got championship opposition, for example, I don't think we'd have felt as comfortable giving the youngsters some opportunity. And it's just not the same amount of enjoyment. It's nice to have a proper cup tie for once. Mm, absolutely. Definitely give give. I would love to see Luke Harris get a get a few minutes um, with the first team. I think, like I was sort of saying earlier with the whole Jay Sandsfield thing, I think we do need to give these really talented youngsters just the, you know that bit of hope, that bit of confidence with the first team. He's so showing so much promise. You know, he's getting a lot of suitors. A lot of big clubs are interested in him, so we really need to look after him and give him those that little bit of hope, you know, playing in the, you know, at Crawley Town, glamorous, I know. But I mean, playing with the first team and, and things like that, because he's showing, he's so good in training with the first team. I, I don't see why he wouldn't get a few minutes at least in the mm, The magic of the cup. And yeah, hopefully it'll be a good game and a chance to see some uh, some of our youth come through. Obviously, as a team, we're going to have one eye on Arsenal on Saturday. Then we then have Brighton and then very tough fixtures away at Tottenham and home to Chelsea. Dom, like looking at the next few games, it just sort of emphasised how important it was getting that three points against Brentford. You know, we're now in a comfortable position. We're not in the place where we're thinking, oh shit, we need to get some points. So you're saying we're not Bournemouth? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Let's count our lucky stars that we're not Bournemouth. But I mean, looking at the next goal, so Arsenal, Brighton, Tottenham, Chelsea, I mean, how many points realistically would you be happy with, shall I say, taken from these few games? Well, looking at the way Chelsea played today, I, I, I think we should be looking nothing less than three points against them on them lot on the tenth. No, I think I think I think away at Arsenal, I think that is where we can. That's, that's probably the first loss so far. Like, they look they look very good, Arsenal. Like it's it's weird Arsenal starting season well. Like it's a bit like us. <laughs> it's it's so odd, but no, I think Arsenal away plus our record at the Emirates is diabolical. Uh, I'm not not going next week, so that probably means we'll win there. Um, that's usually that's usually how this sort of thing how these sort of things happen. Um, but no, I said yeah. I see Arsenal away, Brighton at home. Brighton got a great result against West Ham, and then you got obviously Chelsea at home. Spurs, oh, Spurs away, Chelsea at home. Uh, very tough run of games, but the way we're playing, there's no reason why we can't make we can't cause a shock in any of those games. You know, look, you look at Spurs. Yes, they they batted Southampton four one last week against Chelsea. I thought they were poor uh, against Wolves yesterday. Wolves had a striker. Wolves would have won that game. Um, so I think Spurs away, people are probably writing off, but I'm not saying we're going to go there and like smash them three 0 But like, there's no reason you can't write off that game because like Spurs don't look fluent. They look like they're going to get results, but they don't look like gonna, they're going to. They're it's not like a Man City or Liverpool we've seen in the last sort of three, four, or five seasons where they're going to like just roll over you. But that's not that's simply not going to happen. 
So I think we've got we've got to go into it positive. I think the Brighton game is the important one. Yes, I know they start the season well, but you've got to back us at home. I feel like we've made Crane Cottage a fortress again, and I think we got we got to go with that. I think I said I think I said from the, from, I think I met a few, I think I'm oh yeah I think I was speaking to a few people after the Liverpool game. I was like that Brentford and Brighton game. If we can take four points from that then I think that's good for us. And then we can go on from there. Because, you know, Forest away at the end of October, or end of September, sorry, just for the international break, that, you know, I've been watching them this season. Yes, they look like they look all right, but they're not looking world-class. Like, oh, we've signed 12 players for £200 million. Pounds. Like, we're, <laughs> we're going to walk the league. So I think I think what it is when it comes to these games, as long as you can put the performances in, I think we can move on from there. And Dan, I think, you know... When it Arsenal away, yes, maybe, but I think Spurs away and Chelsea home, they're there to be got at. Yeah, I, th- I think you know we're playing. I think especially Chelsea at the moment, you know, playing them at a good time. I think they're in a little bit of turmoil. I think looking at you know where we'd end up after those four games, I think if if we can get four points or even plus, I think that'd be great. I think if you look at nine points from seven games, that's one point three points per game, which equates to. 48 49 points across the season so you know we'd be if we get four points from the next four we're ahead of schedule and I think that's always important you know not playing catch up we've spoken about it so much so if we can just keep ahead of the curve keep picking up points you know a win here a draw there I think that's really important over the next four absolutely absolutely I mean yeah let's bring it on I'm feeling excited you know going away to Arsenal and, and thinking this could be a real game that we've got on our hands. You know, we've got two teams playing very well. What an exciting time it is to be a Fulham fan. Come on, you shagging whites. Dan, there's one thing left to do. Would you like to name the pod for us, please, sir? What three-word review are you going to go for? Uh, there's usually every week there's one that stands head and shoulders above the rest and it was Jakob Krupa's last-minute beheading. There we go. Fantastic. Fantastic. All that's left for me to do is thank my panel. Don Betts, thanks for your time, son. It's been a pleasure as always, mate. Isabel Barkey, lovely to see you. Thanks so much. Cheers. And cheers, Dan Cook. Thoroughly enjoyable. Oh, too good, too good. Right, we'll be back on the Thursday Club with the regular panel of Sammy, Peter and Jack. Until then, have a lovely week and, yeah, see you next time. Go on, you whites. You whites. <laughs>